G'day everyone and welcome to another Bloody Movie Podcast. I'm Sean Coates, thanks very much for listening in today. And it's another special episode today because we did a podcast last year talking all about the Fantastic Film Festival Australia in its inaugural year. And a, a little bit later this year because there was a little thing that happened, um, not quite sure what it was, but you know, it, it had an impact. But it's back again at, in Melbourne, in the Lido Cinemas, and at, in Sydney at the Ritz Cinemas from April 16th until May the 1st. And joining me once again is the artistic programmer or the artistic director. What is your title, Hudson? Uh, either of those works. Either of those yeah. works. The, the evil mastermind <laughs> behind <laughs> the Fantastic Film Festival Australia, Hudson Sawada. Thanks for joining me. No, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. So, it was, in, it was an interesting time last year because it ended, uh, Fantastic Film Festival ended in March, like yeah. early March last year. And then just a couple of weeks later, everything just turned to shit. Yeah, we were absolutely like, if we were a week later, it would have been a disaster. We were right on the cusp. I remember there's, we had a, a, a guest come down uh, for um, a homewrecker. I yes. don't know if you remember home Yes, I, I went to that Yeah, screen, Zach. Yes. Um, and he asked me whether or not he should go to Japan to shoot a music video for Built to Spill. And I was like, hell yeah, just go. <laughs> just go to Japan, shoot your music video, and you'll have a great time. He's like, okay, cool, I'll buy a ticket. And then he went to Japan. And I follow him on Facebook, and he's still in Japan. Wow. <laughs> he hasn't come Jeez. home from America to America yet. So, uh, look, I gave some pretty bad advice, but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, um, we were very lucky that our event took place um, just before everything kind of went to hell. I just remember the day that South by Southwest was cancelled, and then as soon as I saw those news, I was like, uh, "Yeah, this is a uh, this is the one." And how is that? How has this time been? Like, uh, as well as the director of this festival, you're also uh, the assistant manager here at the Lido, where we are recording in this lovely in the lovely jazz room here today. Um, how has it been as a cinema worker, but then also? I guess, trying to put this festival together during this tumultuous time? Yeah, it's an it's a interesting question. Like, uh, So the cinemas obviously shut down and we went on to JobKeeper, like a program that would pay all the staff um, uh, a wage while not working. So we did um, work at home for the cinema, which is a bit weird to, to kind of think about, but we did like operation stuff and, and, and a kind of... Uh, uh, thinking about our, our market and thinking about our audience and kind of developing strategies to help train new staff, all that kind of stuff um, that we normally don't really get time to do on a day-to-day -day kind of, uh, uh, you know, week. So we were working on that. And then during that time as well, the cinema also launched a uh, streaming platform, Lido at Home. Um, so we spent a lot of time developing that program and I worked on that from a genre perspective. So I programmed some genre films for that as well so that kept me a bit busy um and then we also did some uh q a's with filmmakers over that time as well talking about their films to promote them on the platform so we were trying to to stay active as much as we could even though the thing that we loved going to see movies uh wasn't happening um but yeah keeping the spirit alive so and then during that time obviously i was working on this and uh the festival i mean um fantastic fest so watching uh we watched two to three hundred films wow. this year so uh we had a list of 450 to go through um and yeah we we got it down to 21 so um yeah it was a, it was it's all things considered um i f feel like i had a relatively productive time and i know a lot of other people who work in the festival scene 
even though that sounds like it would have been the hardest hit, a lot of them actually took the opportunity to um, develop their festival business model and actually came out um, in, in some ways very strong after after it. So I know the Revelation Film Festival did pretty well. MIF did some really great stuff as well. Um, I can't speak for everyone, but uh, I, uh, yeah, there's... Um, it wasn't all doom and gloom, for sure. Yeah, well, with the festivals that I was involved in as, I guess, a critic, for mm. lack of a better word, or a, a reviewer, I guess, um, I found that a lot of the festivals, at least the festivals that I covered as a critic, r- adapted really well to the digital space. Mm. And at least f- for me as well, like I found it, uh, that was like festivals, when they went online, they were a lot more willing for press that is much smaller, like myself, to actually, you know, and more to be able to cover the festival mm. was it sort of was it a similar thing with at you programming a festival were like filmmakers more open to have their films like you know enter these sorts of festivals or was it a lot harder uh i didn't really run into any different struggles as far as programming films than i would normally i mean our event is dedicated to cinema screenings just because that's that's kind of our, our model. We don't really have uh, scope for digital screenings at this stage. Um, and also because the festival so linked to the cinema, we also want to be bringing people back and getting people excited to be back in the pitch black rooms again. So um, I guess that's that was our, our quest for this festival. So um, yeah, we never really engaged with filmmakers about screening their films for online sessions other than um, like films that were already fully released for the digital platform. But yeah, people, I, um, I didn't run into any issues with finding great content this year. So I'm interested to see how the next year pans out because I think that's when we'll see the, the gap start to appear. But uh, some filmmakers really were embracing it and made great work in spite of that. Um, but uh, yeah, didn't really feel any uh, COVID-related struggle this year in regards to high-quality content. Mm. Well, I hope this is the festival that starts to bring people. Like, because we've been, op- we're, we're lucky in Australia and specifically in Melbourne that we're, for- we're in a fortunate enough position where cinemas can be pre- almost back to normal at this point. I think mm. we're still at some sort of capacity. I think it's seventy five percent. I believe. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, but it's br- bringing people back to the festival, and hopefully, FFFA does that. And if any of the film is going to do it, it's going to be your opening night film because, especially for a genre festival, the combination of Nicolas Cage and Shion Sono just sounds too, like irresistible. And uh, Prisoners of the Ghostland uh, cannot wait for this. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a pretty unreal film. We're com- like incredibly lucky to have it as our opening night film. We uh, kind of got that one right on the um, 11th hour. Um, so yeah, it's 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 there's not even a trailer out. There's not even going to be a trailer out till May, I think. So it's like real real um uh under the radar but uh so it's going to be really special to, to to share that in australia considering that it's it's yeah it's barely been played anywhere in the world other than sundance i'm not sure where else it's gone other than sundance i think the it stage, might only be sundance yeah so we're really yeah really excited to to be kicking off with that one um and we've got like a drink sponsor as well it's going to be a massive a massive vibe definitely like a cinema audience kind of film so yeah it's gonna be a great time yeah, a lot of these films, and a couple of the films in this program, as I mentioned, some of the festivals that I've covered, uh, Fantasia being one of them, a couple of the films in your program I also saw at Fantasia, mm. one of which you have actually quoted me on, yeah. uh, <laughs> quoted my review from Movie Babble on, uh, in the program here, and that is uh, the Old Man movie, which... <laughs> 
is easily... I mean, in organising this, we've expressed our love for this film. And I... Like, one of the things, like, I loved watching this film, but this is one of the films I was like, God, I wish I'd seen this yeah. with an audience. Yeah, it's definitely like that. Like, when we, we play the trailer, we had a screening of The Room last week, and we played the trailer, and the, the <laughs> theatre just erupted <laughs> in laughter. It's definitely a, uh, uh, a a film. For those who don't know, it's like a stop-motion Estonian uh, film about a cow that needs to be captured before it explodes <laughs> and all the, the people that are trying to to, to, to kind of take control of this cow. It's kind of like um, uh, like Shaun the Sheep meets the Mighty Boosh or meets uh, some kind of deranged yeah. like YouTube. Like I, I thought of it as like a town called Panic yeah, on like yeah. PCP. That's yeah, like I love it. Like I grew up on a town called Panic. I absolutely love <laughs> that that series and the movie but uh yeah this one just blew blew my brains out in the best way possible so um it's gonna be an unreal ride and i think we're we're supplying milk as well for the screenings <laughs> yes. i think we're doing milk on arrival so um, amazing yeah that's, uh, that's well, gonna be a fun time. as soon as you hear this you'll you'll be very familiar with the estonian word for milk <laughs> you'll be, <laughs> yeah. you'll be yeah, shouting that out but peem i believe <laughs> yeah. it is yeah, but another film that I saw at uh, Fantasia that you've programmed here, and I'm gonna be I- it's going to be interesting to see how this film plays in a cinema because I think <laughs> it being in a digital space is actually uh, was actually the perfect way to see it. This is, of course, a private chat or PVT chat, as it's been, uh, I guess, advertised as. And, yeah, I found this film to be quite an interesting look at, like, um, like I guess, relationships and loneliness in the digital age. And I think it really resonated with people when it premiered at Fantasia, especially because most of the world was in lockdown at that point. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a really super interesting film. Um, I It really captures the, like, grimy, kind of dirty New York kind of street energy. Definitely. And it's, like, incredibly immersive in that. Uh, and the two leads, uh, like Julia Fox from Uncut Gems, um, and uh, and what was the the other lead guy's oh, name? I, I forgot his name. He's also in um, Good Time as well. Is, um, is yeah, I oh. think he plays the uh, LSD. Oh, Buddy Duress is in it, but I don't think he's the. Oh right, yeah, yeah he. Um, uh, I'm getting mixed up now. I think with um, with the with the characters, but uh, either way, private chat just. Uh, it really was a really very special little film. And I think you're right. Definitely the computer screen way of experiencing this film because it's almost all the relationships are d- like through a screen. And it, it, it's like an erotic film as well. So seeing an erotic film with an audience is always a, uh, is an interesting, interesting experience. experience yes. um, so, yeah, excited to see what people think about this film. Yeah, and a lot of, uh, I guess a lot of uh, comparisons to this film where I've seen a few that compare it to like sort of the grimy sort of early like seedy New York works of uh, one Abel Ferreira. Mm. And uh, great segue from me here. And you are playing his newest his newest film, uh, Siberia, with uh, the one and only Willem Dafoe. Yeah, that was one of the very first films that I watched uh, from this program. And I just, as soon as I saw it, I was like, okay, this is it. We're on. Um, and uh, it completely breaks any traditional idea of film continuity and just like, it's it's completely dream logic style storytelling. And we either are on that wavelength or you're completely off it. And uh, if you jump on board with it and kind of go on the ride, with Defoe through this like in- insane trip, then uh, you're in for some really unique little set pieces and moments. And well, Defoe is just so captivating; like he just steals the show. Um, so yeah, 
great little great little film. Some pretty messed up moments in there too, um, but also yeah, it just captures the the balance between pleasure and fear and anxiety and uh, the the things that we are uh, that we that we dream about. I guess so. Yeah, great little film. Sounds similarly to I guess uh, the Golden Glove in your program last year. This is a film I only know because of its reputation from when it screened at the Berlinale yeah. and the sort of reception it got there. Yeah, yeah. There's a few films in here that infamously have not performed well at their like original first screenings. The other one is Mother Schmuckers, which <laughs> like closing night film. Yeah, yeah. Which when I it was yeah it was one of the last films I watched for this program after it played at sundance and i just like was uh, sitting alone in the lounge room and just pissing myself laughing the entire time it's 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 madness it's like pure pandemonium it crosses every single cinematic boundary that i have ever thought could be crossed and it's like uh, uh i guess you could consider it to be almost uh, a modern day john waters kind of energy almost like with a youtube kind of filthy frank spin um, and it just got has got that like really intentional like lo-fi aesthetic, which I, I just am all about that like like low lo-fi kind of vibe. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just insane. It's an insane it movie. It looks insane, and yeah. only at seventy-one minutes as well. Yeah, it <laughs> <like> <laughs> runs. It's a, it's a, it's at a breakneck speed, and yeah. Um, so yeah, people at Sundance I just don't think were quite ready for it, um, and I don't know if anybody's really ready for it. But, uh, yeah, I love this movie. Right. Yeah, um, was we, sh- we should also say any audiences that are thinking of seeing this film, uh, this film does have a content warning. Uh, it does contain pic- depictions of both animal abuse and sexual violence, so I guess proceed with caution. But um, I know about this film as well because of its Sundance reception, but also uh, my e- editor at Movie Babble, Nick Cush, saw this at Sundance, and, like, you would be in good company with him because he feels like he's the only one in the yeah. world who actually <laughs> liked it. <laughs> I think it's uh, definitely like all great cult films. Really, you when they first come out, they take they're not quite on the wavelength of the rest of uh, the the I guess the status quo. And then they'll this will definitely be one that gets passed around to people. Be like, check out this freaking crazy thing, and uh, it'll it'll build itself up as a little uh, cult film. There, I can uh, almost guarantee that. I'm sure. Yeah, well, sticking with, um, uh, what was it, not Sundance, I'm sorry, um, uh, Fantasia, mm. one film that like I, I had on my shortlist to review but kind of ran out of time to check out while I was there but then just kept hearing amazing things about it uh, the whole festival was uh, the film Lapsus, Noah Hutton's film. Um, I still don't know much about this yeah. because it, it all, the trailers and a lot of the stuff is like very vague. It's got something to do with a power source and people with cables or something. Yeah, yeah. It it's looks a, really cool. It's a great, it's a really great little film. I saw it after it did South by Southwest and then um, like it did virtually and then it completely, this film kind of dropped off the map almost. Um, and then it's got pick, been picked up by a new Australian distributor called Maslow Entertainment. Um, and this is kind of one of their post-child uh, films, I guess. So um, it's the great thing about it is it is a kind of near future. I don't want to say dystopian because it's very close to like our current reality, but the way it deals with the uh, the commentary that it has or the anxieties that it uh, is perceiving on a like reality is is through a very like velvety soft kind of like normally in these science fiction they kind of ram down your throat like the uh their political angle or or their uh 
their their fears for the future. But this one's quite subtle, and it's uh, kind of um, uh, yeah, it's much. It plays out much more like a like a like a, almost like a drama, so to speak. Um, as this guy, he needs to raise some money to help his his uh, six uh, brother, and he gets this job wrangling cables in the same way of like being an Uber driver or an Uber eats kind of delivery person. And there's no protection for this guy as he's walking through the forest, uh, wrangling cables between different power sources. And uh, um, then this kind of union starts to form within the forest and, and about uh, their, their trials and tribulations. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a really great, great little film. And I think uh, people are going to really, really love it. Yeah, it sounds like it's going to be one of those like sort of like I guess on the level, like I, I heard a couple of uh, comparisons to like I guess it's not quite as heady or cerebral as like a Shane Carruth, but like sort mm. of in like its visual style, kind of was similar to like his sort of films. Yeah, it's got a f- great visual style, and it really puts you has a great sense of place and and purpose. And uh, Noah Hutton has a background in documentary filmmaking, and I think that comes into uh, this story as it's uh yeah it's not uh, super over the top or dramatic. It's very like. Uh, um, really about people and relationships, and uh, I think it uh, is really successful in presenting its point of view. Mm. All right. Well, yeah, I'm I'm keen to see it, and I'm struggling to set segues here, but I'll try and make <laughs> one here. You said documentary style. You've got a, a handful of documentaries playing. Yeah. One of them is uh, a glitch in the Matrix, which is from uh, director Rodney Asher. Now, I've, this film has gotten some very mixed responses, yeah. but from what I've heard of. Um, criticisms of Rodney Ash's previous film uh, Room 237 which was about like the crazy fan theories about The Shining like I've heard a lot of complaints about that sort of film as if it's sort of a thing that is like giving credence to all of these just ridiculous sort of theories and like how crazy it is but like the documentary is like from what I've heard from people that love the film is like it's it's about obsessive fandom and I'm wondering if Glitch in the Matrix, which is all about like sort of simulation theory, like if that's maybe what people are getting wrong here as well. Yeah, that's uh, it's a really I I was floored by this documentary when I watched it, and I was fully on the train of those people when I in the first half of the film, I was like, why is this, why is this film giving so much time and energy to these like these like basement dwelling kind of uh like real conspiracy theory nut jobs. But what the film captures is a really deeply, like, modern existential fear of, like, our position in the world and our reality. And it almost isn't about simulation theory, so to speak, but mainly about, uh, um, like, how we consider ourselves in the world in a, in a place where technology and information and, uh, like, individual kind of position is is often so compromised and uh there's a sequence right in the middle that i wouldn't dare spoil but it really um interviews somebody who goes too far off the edge and um it really kind of brings the whole context of the film back back in and um yeah i think uh it really gives these people a lot of time of day and uh it interviews like a range of different people in the perspective and um it's a really super fascinating journey but uh, i can i can see why people originally maybe didn't get on its wavelength but i um i think for those who go in with an open mind and uh not necessarily expecting to be converted to the ideology or like the theory but to to kind of go on this trip i think they'll find some great surprises in there and from the looks of it as well from what i've seen from the trailer and the imagery that you've put in the program as well it's uh like sort of all tied together or like told visually through some pretty incredible animation yeah so all the interviews were done over skype 
essentially, and then they did some great 3D animation over all the uh, the interviewees to kind of conceal their identity a bit, but also give them their own like unique visual persona. And it's got some great like video game 90s kind of uh, like uh, aesthetics and. Um, yeah, it just is a, a, a really great little uh, treat of, uh, of visual pleasure, I think, for a documentary as well. Um, so I played the Sundance Midnight program, which is pretty rare for a documentary. Um, but, yeah, watching this film, you can definitely see why it, uh, why it suits those kind of late night screenings. Yeah, just from the vibe what I've got from all, everything that I've seen and read about the film at the moment, it definitely, definitely feels that way. And uh, I'm, I'm interested, <laughs> like, like most films in, this, uh, in your program here, I'm definitely interested in seeing it. But one film that I saw under very strange circumstances is The 20th Century, which is one of the most bizarre... Like, uh, in my letterbox review, like, I kind of watched this... Uh, not knowing what was happening at all. And I think on Letterboxd I said this film is too weird and too Canadian for me. <laughs> and <laughs> it definitely, it's just, it's what I loved about this film though is just like how, I guess, like a lot of people have compared it to Guy Madden. I haven't seen too much Guy Madden, so I can't really attest to that. But it's just like so bizarre and just how this film looks and like how, like the production design, especially of this film, is just. It's incredibly bizarre. Yeah, I, I guess bizarre is a pretty good way to describe this film. Um, I, like, I'm a massive Guy Madden fan. I, that was a very influential kind of figure when I was studying cinema. And um, uh, when I saw this film, I just love this idea of Canadian film where they uh, maybe feel that they don't have the same kind of. Sp- uh, I guess, popular culture currency that somewhere like America or Europe might have. So they just like a fuck it and <laughs> reimagine their own history and like kind of reinvent um, what they actually, what their history is and yeah, their position in, in the world. And uh, this is the 20th century is like a reimagining of the early years of one of their former prime ministers, uh, um, uh, William Lyon Mackenzie King. And it's this kind of Monty Python-esque vision about what it took to takes to become a prime minister in Canada um, and uh, all the, the, the tribulations that he kind of has to go through to get there. And then he falls in love when he gets taken out and then he has like has to fight with his own sensual desires and uh, all to the backdrop of this great like deco, almost German yeah. expressionism. It, it's like design. every, sh- it's almost like every shot is, so- is shot inside like the like the fortress of solitude yeah yeah (laughs) the design is amazing and the just the whole aesthetic it's like 16 millimeter beautiful color um and uh just 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 so many bonkers (laughs) moments so um yeah it's a it's a really great little film um, I'm going to check because again I'm bad at segues. I'm going to change tack um, very swift to this, you know, very quaint, very bizarre sort of um, Canadian film to probably one of the most depressing films ever made, which is uh, the only restoration in your program and probably one of the best films I've ever seen. Um, uh, that is Ilan Klimov's uh, Swan Song and Masterpiece Come and See, which is easily probably the most brutal, uncompromising, just just gut-wrenching depictions of war probably ever put on film yeah i would agree with that uh summary like when i watched this film it uh completely like redefined what i thought um people could put on screen and (coughs) and uh i was 
just almost speechless for like days afterwards and it was just running through my head for since since then essentially and then when i saw this new scan um was being developed i just knew that it uh, had a really important place in the in the program and um it's it's been amazing to see how many fil- people that this film has has kind of reached throughout 40 years or so and uh and yeah the the rescan is just stunning like the sound and the, the the cinematography and the music and the whole thing just comes together to to create a, a really incredible visceral and uh, disturbing uh film and uh yeah it's going to be unreal to watch that in a cinema audience um yeah i'm interested to see how many people who come to that screening have seen it before or who yeah. haven't seen it and uh and the different experiences that people take away from that movie um yeah yeah, well, friend of the show and previous guest on this podcast, Blake Ison, saw it at it saw this new scan. Uh, he'd never seen it before. He saw it for the first time at the Brisbane Film Festival, mm-hmm. and just yeah, was absolutely blown away by this film. And it, it's just a thing. It's like this is one of those sorts of films where it's like I know it's like incredibly like probably one of the best films I've ever seen. But just because of how haunting so much of the imagery is, seeing that on a big screen with the surround sound. Like that might be traumatizing. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, that that will happen to to some people. That the and um, yeah. Uh, yeah, just um, I I don't really know what else to say about this yeah. movie. I think it just uh, everybody who is familiar with it kind of knows exactly uh, what's in store and uh, yeah. why it's such a seminal piece of film history. So um, yeah, and once once we had that locked in, it's like we don't really need to be presenting any <laughs> any other retros. It's like exactly, that that is cause I guess need. our tent pole of what uh, of uh, of of this year's kind of yeah retro program. Yep, and if you are supremely depressed after this film, stick around because I believe the old man movie yeah. is playing <laughs> yeah. directly afterwards. So yeah, uh, experience some some of the greatest tonal whiplash you will <laughs> ever experience in your life. But like, you can't go to bed with that still in your mind. Yeah, with come and see. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, that, you'll, that you'll was dep- definitely depressed for days. Intentional to uh, to provide some relief um, after that film. Yes, um, you do have only one uh, Australian film in the program, but you do uh, do have a big gala screening, and there's going to be a Q and A with the cast and crew. Uh, are they going to be here, or is that going to be over Skype? Yeah, so the the cast and crew for Bloodshot Heart are going to be flying down to Melbourne to do a Q and A, which is uh, super exciting. That's on the Sunday screening, um, the twenty fifth. Um, yeah, it's just a great Australian psychological thriller. Um, if you like great independent Australian production and great independent genre cinema, this is a, a really fantastic little film. And, um, yeah, I think they, they achieved huge amounts of uh, success in what they were able to put to screen. And, uh, yeah, it's a really wonderful little film. One film that I saw is actually getting a release uh, not too long after it's playing at Fantastic FFFA is uh, Gillian Wallace Horvat's film I Blame Society. Now, I, again, I saw the trailer for this film. This film looks like just one of those films that just kind of is very abrasive and very sort of like in your face, but from what it looks like in the best way possible. Yeah, it's G- Gillian is just so in your face throughout the entire film. And this, this film is like, so it, it follows, um, uh, Gillian plays herself in the film and on her quest to uh, make a movie at all costs. And then she runs into barriers throughout her journey and uh, um, proceeds to think that uh, committing crime slash murder is the way of uh, making this project a reality. And uh, the film 
through her interactions with her friends and family, which is just like incredibly cringy. <laughs> and um, she is like a like an absolute lunatic trying to convince them to uh, to give to support her through her mad projects. Um, and then when she dives off the deep end, it's just like a, an unreal train ride. And uh, she just has so much charisma and energy. And we're super excited to be presenting a Q&A with her after um, the screening on Sunday. Uh, Sunday the 18th, and uh, yeah, it's just a, a in a promising young woman era of filmmaking. I think it sits right alongside that film, um, and uh, it's just a great genre uh, independent project. Oh, it's almost because it's all like kind of GoPro and iPhone yeah. footage and like like uh, security camera footage as well. So it's like a really great example of uh, independent uh, production, just like and and the importance of just having great energy and uh, vision and uh, in, and just having that as your basis to creating a great story you don't need all the bells and whistles you just need the enthusiasm and uh, yeah I think uh, people are going to really dig dig this film a lot yeah and I think it's also going to be I guess like especially with this whole sort of narrative of like try like all the des the desperate things that she tries to do in order to make a movie work i think a lot of people like any artist like any yeah. any person with any sort of artistic drive or you know sort of passion will definitely resonate with that and i think it will be somewhat cathartic to them yeah there's sense. there's yeah. catharticism in there and you will relate to her to a certain point <laughs> and then maybe uh, after that point uh maybe not but um yeah, she's just a, a force to be reckoned with, and I think she's going to be doing some amazing stuff, and such a young, young talent as well. So yeah, it's another one of these films you see at genre festivals that is just has these great concepts that are so bizarre and off kilter, and just really uh, not quirky, but just you wouldn't see anywhere else. Much like a film that is a love a, a love story between a woman and a carnival ride. <laughs> In Jumbo. <laughs> yeah, the the power of Jumbo, though, is uh, what is an inherently kind of a, uh, a funny concept, somebody falling in love with a, a theme park ride. It's played so straight, and the whole relationship is played, is taken with so much, uh, uh, I guess, like love and respect. And the whole point of the film, I think, is, uh, is it's, it's really an allegory for any kind of unconventional love and the, uh, the the quest to kind of get people in your life to realize how important this relationship is for you. And, uh, yeah, it really succeeds in, in, in that story. And, um, uh, yeah, it gives it a lot of respect. And um, it's just got so many great little visual moments as well. And the performances are unreal. So, yeah, I think Jumbo is a really beautiful little love story. Yeah, I reckon this one might be one of the most popular of the festival as well because you said with the cast as well, uh, Nomi Milant from uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire is the lead in this film. Yeah, yeah, and she uh, she's wonderful in this movie. Um, and uh, I think it is something that uh, can be enjoyed by all kinds of uh, cinema goers, whether they be genre people or grandparents or uh, or friends and family. It's yeah. like a pretty accessible film. Well, yeah. once you get past the the probably once you get past the strange concept of the film, yeah, it's yeah, quite universal. Um, something that you weren't able to do last year that you have done this year is uh, program shorts to go with some of the films. Um, you mentioned well, you mentioned just with how explicit the um how p the private chat it could would be and how seeing that in a cinema would be strange. Uh, one the short that you've programmed with it. Um, an Austrian short called Progressive Touch, which has a content warning with um, unsimulated sex scenes. Um, that sounds like it might be even more, um, like a perfect, um, 
a pairing, but maybe just a slightly uncomfortable viewing yeah. with a crowd. Progressive Touch is seriously one of the best short films I've seen. We've got we've got collect like we've got six short films, seven short films, and um, they are all seriously world class content that uh, that are going to make beautiful pairings with the with the features. But Progressive Touch, it's like. Uh, um, I guess it's kind of experimental dance also like like everybody's naked the whole time and it's about like the relationship between body and movement and music and sex and uh yeah it's it's a it's a wild movie it's a freaking wild film yeah and it's uh yeah unlike anything I've seen before and uh it's hot it's a hot film <laughs> it's uh it's got every kind of sexual encounter um I guess you can think of uh, to the to a booming throbbing soundtrack and lush visual lighting <laughs> as well. Throbbing is an interesting choice of words. Yeah, well, it's the correct <laughs> choice in this sense. Um, yeah, great film, Progressive Touch. Yeah, love that movie. And then our opening night film and short, uh, Dada. It's just um, it won the best short at Sitges, um, and uh, it's a really. Uh, I guess it, it, there's this this. It reminds me a little bit of the lighthouse in the sense that it's it really takes you back from a production standpoint to like a really really early point in cinema, and it's kind of got like a Nosferatu-y aesthetic as far as uh, like the 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 vibe of the camera and the cinematography and the mise en scene. But uh, it follows a young girl who uh, uh, meets a demon, and every day she goes to the to to collect coal for her mother the demon like sucks the life out of her fingers and it's like a really brutal and horrifying little short film and we don't really have that many horror traditional horror films in the program this year a couple of uh more gonzo-y horrors and uh we've got one werewolf film but uh this one is like real bone chilling horror short so uh yeah really excited to be presenting that on the opening night yeah, so that werewolf film you're talking about teddy um you did screen that as part of the launch for the festival um yeah. Yeah, I actually don't know too much about this film. I unfortunately could not make that screening, but just from what I've seen about this film, it looks like in uh, your program this year, the French films or the French language films have kind of taken the place of the German films that you yeah. kind of programmed last year. That's of like, true. Yeah. yeah, there is a lot of French language cinema in here. There's something uh, I, like there's something in the water, I think, in, in some places. I mean, some of them are French-Canadian as well, but uh, um, Teddy is just like a great... Uh, extension of the werewolf genre and I think pushes it in a really uh, interesting and, and new way as it follows this young kid who is like an outcast from his rural French community and he gets scratched by a, 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 a wolf in the woods and then as he goes on and lives his sh like terrible life he starts to uh, have some beastly urges um, and uh, yeah kind of coming of age story with some great body horror as he like has to shave the hair off his tongue and like <laughs> pull hair out of his eyeballs and stuff so um yeah great great film um and you're also bringing back something that you did last year as well of the non-film events so you're bringing back both the analog orgy which is the just random compilation of uh 16 millimeter um tidbits from the uh, 60s 70s and 80s which there were some great ones in there yeah. last year when i attended and you're also bringing back the um dungeons and dragons as well yeah the D, D nights just holds a real special place in my heart it, it really aligns well with uh values of community and storytelling and uh different and uh, divergent experiences and perspectives so um it's an opportunity for people both in sydney and melbourne to kind of have a little one shot dungeon dragons experience with some of the best dungeon masters in the country um so anybody who's wanted to give that a go um 
it's a great opportunity and kind of gateway to to have a non-committal uh great time pretending to be uh in the world of D D. so yeah that's uh that's a really great little event and the analogogy is just like because it's run by by my dad who uh we just grew up watching 16 millimeter stuff at home and like random commercials and trailers and stuff so it's kind of an excuse almost <laughs> a little self-indulgent way of us to just hang out and drink wine and <laughs> relive those uh, childhood <laughs> kind of memories and other people can kind of come along to that as well so yeah yeah like there was that weird i think there was that classic last year there was a great beatles one that was yeah braverman's beatles that's yeah. right and there was also oh, there's that really famous i think it's a disney short about uh, young the story of menstruation there's yeah. that one and there's also something about yeah hygiene for young boys or something like that it was all the classics yeah yeah so we'll we'll probably be returning some of those and we've got some new ones in store as well oh, can't um but uh yeah like I, in paris cinema fest the festival we did before fantastic fest we had a, a compilation uh film called drug stories which was like a series of uh educational films about uh for schools about the the the, the struggles and the problems with uh, narcotics, people like 10-year-old kids taking LSD and then doing class <laughs> and things. <laughs> it's just a maddening uh, time. It's so funny. So, uh, yeah, expect some of those fun bits for the analog orgy. Yep, and that one is on – that's only in Melbourne, unfortunately. Sorry, Sydney people. Um, that's on Saturday the 24th at 6 p.m. So after you come out of Come and See and you're waiting to go into the old yeah. man movie, <laughs> cheer yourself up by listening – or by watching – some strange 16-millimeter correct uh, ephemera from <laughs> days gone by. Uh, are there any other films I that we haven't mentioned that are in the program that you really want to highlight? Yeah, I'll just go through a couple of little great ones. Miracle Fishing was seriously one of the best true crime stories I've seen in recent memory. It blew my freaking mind. And uh, I had the pleasure of interviewing... Uh, well, I guess I'll go through the story first. It's, uh, it follows a family who... Uh, whose father was kidnapped by Colombian rebel fighters and the film follows the one year period of them negotiating the hostage trade with these rebel fighters and the entire film is made up of the home videos that the son shot during this period and it's the most incredibly immersive and uh, and and really thrilling documentary ab about this family and how they cope with it and how their day-to-day -day life changed and uh, how they like would have to go pick up proof of lives from restaurants and how do they smuggled hundreds of thousands of dollars and secretly got it home and how they packed it and gave it to the rebels and then um, it's uh, actually made by the son so he made the film 25 years later um, and I had the pleasure of interviewing him uh, a couple of days ago uh, for a Q&A which we'll screen after the film and it really is yeah an unbelievable true crime story um, and uh, and found footage documentary as well so uh, I thought that was that was a, a really amazing find and I think people are gonna love that film a lot I'd also really recommend laughter um, a French Canadian film that uh, follows a, a, a woman who survives a mass execution in this uh, fake civil war um, in Canada and uh, about her life after that point and how she kind of deals with that and the, the guilt of being alive when so many of her friends and family have died and um, it's kind of got that uh, Charlie Kaufman non-linear like the lines between identity and reality and time kind of all blur um, in, in, in very Lynchian as well in some regard too but uh, um, is an incredibly powerful film it starts at like a emote like a huge emotional high and just does not let up like the emotions are just like 
running throughout the entire film and uh the performances are unreal too that one i think people are going to really 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 love that film yeah. after i watched that one without because the trailer unfortunately is only available in french and yeah. does not have any um <laughs> does yeah. not have any subtitles so it was even more sort of surreal me trying to figure out what this movie was about just from totally. watching that yeah and then i'd also really recommend people be stackling at the straw holy moly that is like an unreal like kind of beat um a hard-boiled Korean crime film. It won the jury prize at Rotterdam and uh, is is just like, it's got that kind of Coen Brothers swagger, but with that like great, like Koreans just know how to make great crime film. And they just like, this this film is just so much fun and it's a great um, kind of roller coaster through um, all the different people that uh, interact with this bag of money and like all the, the, the wild kind of encounters that happen as this bag of money is is uh handed around to different people in in the in the community and uh yeah it's unreal it's so fun so be cycling on the straw it's going to be a hell of a ride so i recommend those ones too um yeah yeah well you'd recommend all of them yeah you, yeah you yeah. wouldn't put bad films in no, the program no, I, I rec- all of them are, 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 are really wonderful for different reasons i'll just quickly also suggest patrick as well set in a nudist ah, colony right. i did uh, see this that one yeah that one's stunning it's just like it's it's a tragic comedy and it's it's setting any film in a nudist colony is just instantly going to make it enjoyable from start to finish. Cause like you always got like, it's got an amount of nudity that is just like unbelievable. Every single scene, everybody's just butt naked and um, it really kind of derobes any, it like leaves the characters really open and, uh, and um, in a really unique way as well. Um, and it follows uh, um, the, the titular Patrick as his father passes away and he now is uh, the leader of the the camp but he really has no interest in it and instead he needs to go on the quest to his camp to find this missing hammer as a rebellion starts to form within the colony um to uh to kind of take over power um yeah it's a great great film yeah it seems like one of the yeah as you said there's no not many traditional horror films in your program if any like i don't think a lot of these films are of any real traditional genre yeah this one specifically yeah so i guess from a programming point of view my intention was not necessarily limited to genre cinema but more about films that have like a fantastic attitude have like a questioning eye um have a really creative flair to them um cinema that really is pushing things forward and like kind of unlike anything else being made or around and i think a lot of these films people will look back as 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 really great um yeah moving forward the what what's film and uh um what genre and outside of cinema um is offering to to the wider um, film community so yeah i'm really proud of where we got the program to this year and i think people are gonna c- have some really uh great experiences and, and really have some memorable uh, memories watching these crazy crazy movies yeah i have i definitely have it f- at festivals past both at paris cinema fest and last year and th- its first installment i've had some of these films have become not necessarily all, like Luz, which you screened back oh, at Fantastic. Yeah, Par- yeah. yeah, like I, like how, m- how big of a fan I am of that movie. I spent like $60 to import the uh, US Blu ray. Oh <laughs> yeah, and the soundtrack oh. as well. You can buy oh. vinyl too. Yeah. Yeah, I, um, I had the, the great pleasure of interviewing Tillman Singer as well, and he is just like incredible uh, 
voice and, and really humble and uh, hearing his story about how he got that film made and the anxiety that he had before mm-hmm. releasing it and now it's become such a uh, seminal genre film. Um, yeah, it was a it was a real honor to, to have that film at Paris Cinema Fest. And if you haven't seen Luz yet, definitely yeah. um, uh, don't sleep on that. Yeah, and instead, of, if you don't want to spend $60 like I did to take the chance on the off chance that you don't like it, it is available almost ex- exclusively, isn't it, on Lido at Home? That's right, yeah. So we loved it that much that we paid for the rights for the film in Australia. Um, so yeah, that's a great little, uh, little um, uh, pitch there. So Lido at Home. Lose. <laughs> yeah, get onto it. And everyone. you can see my interview with Tillman on there as well, too. Yep. Um, th- thanks again, Hudson, because y- you've just provided, like, this festival just provides a space for us cinephiles to see these crazy films that would otherwise be incredibly difficult to track down, or we'd have to wait until MIF or, like, mm. you know, some other, or just, like, maybe even have to illegally download them to get, the, to get yeah, these sorts yeah. of films. Yeah, a lot of these films just kind of disappear after the festival run. So, um, yeah, really. Like looking at what the rest of the world are doing, there there is a real big push for these movies. Like looking at Bell Bellinale and their Accounters program is is doing great stuff, and uh, and we're really inspired by the Sundance programming as well. They're doing and like their program this year, I thought was uh, really super interesting. A lot of really outsider great uh, groundbreaking cinema there, and South by Southwest is a big influence for us too. And yeah, we're really hoping that the event can uh, fit. Uh, a, a really important part of the film community here in Australia because MIF is great, but uh, and they like have a really diverse program. But having something that's mm. like a bit tighter, um, I think is 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 a is an important part yeah. in that scene too. And with a much narrower focus on these sorts of mm. bizarre films too. Yeah, yeah. So fingers crossed that uh, that people really dig this year, and we can we can keep doing the things that we love to do. But uh, yeah. Yep, and if people, well, people should come to the to come to the festival. And how can they get tickets and find out more information and look at uh, some, look at the full program? Where can they go? Yeah, so you can go to our website. Uh, if you just put in Fantastic Film Festival Australia, our website's there, and you can buy tickets through the Lido and the Ritz website as well. I would really suggest jumping on our Instagram and Facebook page. Um, we post updates and interviews and uh, um, different pieces of information up there too, because we have stuff in the program, well, that isn't in the program that we have lined up. Like we have a Q&A with private chat and for uh, Glitch in the Matrix uh, that are hosted by our friends at Static Vision. Um, so that's not in the program. So yeah, stay tuned to our socials to kind of get updated on all the other cool stuff that we've got lined up. Yep, get around those. And you can also buy passes for the film as well. For yeah, the, for the yeah. festival, sorry, as yeah, well. It's yeah. the five pass, the VIP pass. Five pass is a great deal. Um, 75 bucks for five films. Um, so. And uh, you could easily get some amazing value out of just those five out of the 20. But uh, I don't know how anybody would pick, you know, yeah. <laughs> five films. That's a I, hard decision. I have bought the five film pass, but have yet to actually pick them. Yeah. So I'm going to re-listen to this episode. Take your notes on board <laughs> of what some of the films you've talked about today and take take those on board and yeah, then try to book yeah. tickets as soon as possible. Yeah. And like, please, uh, if anybody's coming to the festival, please reach out to us. I would love to hear about the films that you really liked and the things that, uh, that you have to say. So... Yeah, you can email us at uh, info at fantasticfilmfestivalaustralia.com. Oh, sorry, fantasticfilmfestival.com.au. Um, yeah, and uh, always looking at ways to, to kind of make this festival a bigger part of the community. This is what I'm really trying to do this year. Like, we've got partners with um, the Sydney Science Fiction Film Festival and the Night of Horror Film Festival as well. They're coming on board to, to kind of um, be a part of the Sydney side of the festival too. So, yeah, love to l- get people involved. Yep. 
April 16, that's the when it begins and it ends on May 1st, happening at the Lido Cinemas in Hawthorne, Melbourne, and also at the Ritz Randwick in Sydney. Get around it. Hudson, thank you very much for joining me again and good luck with the festival. It was, yeah, it was great chatting. Um, see you there. Yep, and we'll hopefully we have this exact same conversation next year for the third instalment of FFFA. Hell yeah. See you then. G'day, guys. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed my chat with Hudson. He has put together, quite literally, a fantastic film festival for us this year, and I cannot wait to get stuck into it and see all of these incredibly bizarre and just insane pieces of outsider cinema and this awesome program that Hudson has put together. So, once again, Fantastic Film Festival Australia is playing in Melbourne, and Sydney from April the 16th to May the 1st. It is playing in Melbourne at the Lido Cinemas in Hawthorne and in Sydney at the Ritz Cinemas in Randwick. And let's go through a couple of the films and just give you some of the session times for a couple of the films we mentioned in the interview. The first film, I'm going to go through this alphabetically because that's how they are listed in the program. First, Beast Clawing at Straws, which is the film that Hudson highlighted as a must-see for the festival. It has two screenings in Melbourne and one at the Ritz. Uh, Lido screenings are on Wednesday, April 21st at 6.30pm and on Saturday, May 1st at 6.30pm. And it's one session at the Ritz is on Thursday, April 22nd at 6.30pm. The Australian film, the only Australian film in the program, Bloodshot Heart, has two screenings at the Lido and three at the Randwick Ritz. Melbourne, that it is on Sunday, April 25th at 6.30pm, which is the session where the casting crew will be coming to Melbourne for that Q&A, and then a regular session on Wednesday, the 28th of April at 6.30pm. And at the Ritz, you've got those that is playing Friday, April 23rd at 6.30pm, Tuesday, April 27th at 8.40pm, and Thursday, April 29th at 8.40pm. And the casting crew for Bloodshot Heart will be at all three of those screenings, according to this program. Come and see the incredibly harrowing masterpiece that is Come and See, the 2K digital restoration, having making its Victorian and New South Wales premiere at the Fantastic Film Festival. Just one screening for the film in both Melbourne and Sydney. So the Lido will be playing it Saturday, April 24th at 5pm and also playing at the Ritz on Saturday, April 24th, but at 4pm. The Rodney Asher documentary, A Glitch in the Matrix, has two screenings, both at the Lido and the Ritz. At the Lido, it will be screening Thursday, April 22nd at 8.30pm and Wednesday, April 28th at 8.30pm. And also at the Ritz, Tuesday, April 27th at 9.15pm and the following Tuesday, April 27th at 6.30pm. Gillian Wallace Horvat's I Blame Society, one of, uh, as the program describes, as one of the most awkward, quirky, and original horror films, definitely one of the best of the year, has three screenings at the Lido and just two at the Ritz. Both cinemas will be playing the film at Sunday, April 18th at 6.30pm, which those screenings will feature a live Q&A with director Gillian Wallace Horvat. And at the Lido, the additional two screenings will be on Tuesday, April 27th at 8.30pm and Saturday, May 1st at 4pm. And the other screening at the Ritz will be on Friday, April 30th at 6.30pm. 
another one of Hudson's must-see picks is the French-Canadian film Laughter, which has two screenings at the Lido and three at the Ritz. So the Ritz get this uh, three times. Um, Lido, you'll be getting it Saturday, April 17th at 9pm, and also Tuesday, April 20th at 6.20pm, which that is a co-current screening with the Ritz, also have a screening at that time, and those will those screenings will feature a live Q&A with the director, Martin LaRoche. So get around to that. And the Ritz's two subsequent screenings are on Sunday, April 25th, Anzac Day at 8.30pm, and on Wednesday, April 28th at 8.30pm. My top pick of the festival, the Old Man movie, of which I am quoted, in which my review is quoted in the FFFA program. Uh, that has two screenings at the Lido and one at the Ritz. Um, this film will be awesome to see with a crowd, so please get down to it uh, in Melbourne, either on Thursday, April 22nd at 8.40pm or Saturday, April 24th at 8.45pm. And that's going to be get ready for a rapid change of pace if you were seeing that directly after uh, the harrowing uh, brutality that is Come and See. Um, and The Ritz has one screening on Monday, April 19th at 6.30pm. The opening night film, Prisoners of the Ghost Land, Shion Sono, Nicolas Cage. It's going to be an incredible pairing and it's going to be a great way for the festival to kick off. Opening night at both cinemas is going to be Friday, April 16th at 6.30pm. There is an additional screening at both Lido and The Ritz. The Lido on Tuesday, April 27th at 6.30pm and at The Ritz on Saturday, April 24th at 7pm. Getting towards the end of the program, private chat or PVT chat as it has been written out in the program or just in its official name for the film has three screenings at the Lido and two at the Ritz. Uh, Lido is having it Wednesday, April 21st at 8.30pm, Saturday, April 24th at 9.15pm and Friday, April 30th at 830 and at the Ritz, Wednesday, April 21st at 8.40pm and Saturday, April 24th at 9pm. And as Hudson said in the interview, the screenings on the Wednesday will feature a Q&A with director Ben Hosey that will be hosted by the guys over at Static Vision. So make sure you get along to that. It's a very interesting film. Would be very... an interesting one to see with the crowd, let's just say. And rounding out the program of alphabetical order is the unequivocally Canadian film, The 20th Century, which has two screenings, both in Melbourne and in Sydney. The Lido has screenings Saturday, April 17th at 9pm and Friday, April 30th at 6.30pm, whereas The Ritz, it is playing Saturday, April 24th at 9pm and Thursday, April 29th at 6.30pm. There's still a bunch of films that Hudson and I did not even get the chance to talk about or that I have not listed um, the times for here, um, just for the sake of time and for your own sanity as well. So films like Sanzuro, A Killer's Escape, Makeup, uh, you know, there's some great films, Get the Hell Out. There's some really interesting films that we, that Hudson and I just did not get to talk about that you should really, really definitely check out. More information about the full program of fantastic films playing at the Fantastic Film Festival Australia and also where to buy tickets can all be found at fantasticfilmfestival.com. And you can also find them on Instagram, fantastic, they are at Fantastic Film Fest Oz, spelt A-U-S, and you can also find them on Facebook at Fantastic Film Festival Australia. And as I said for the passes, uh, you can buy five film passes, which are $75, that's pretty great value, or even greater value, if you want to check out everything that's playing, you can get a VIP pass, which gets you everything, literally everything, 
entry into every single film, that is $250 for everything. And that's also pretty great value as well. So to buy tickets for more information, to see the full program, read up more about these films, head to fantasticfilmfestival.com.au. And thank you, of course, for listening and supporting this festival and supporting this podcast. And if you want to support us even further, make sure you follow us on wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for another bloody movie podcast on wherever you get your podcasts and hit that subscribe button, whether that be Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, SoundCloud, you name it, we're there. Uh, you can also find us on our Facebook page. Just search for Another Bloody Movie Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at AB Movie Podcast and also our Instagram at Another Bloody Movie Pod. You can follow me on both Instagram and Twitter, both at SeanHub underscore. That is S-E-A-N-H-U-B underscore. You can follow me on Letterboxd, letterboxd.com forward slash Sean Coates. And you can read my written, ba- r- written film ramblings over at moviebabble.com. At the moment, I have two newly released articles. One, a review of the of final set, of which I reviewed on the last podcast with Blake Ison, which played at the French Film Festival. That is out. And also, a written review for the Bob Odenkirk, uh, John Wick, beat up, shoot em up, nobody, which was a lot of fun and in cinemas now. So make sure you go over to moviebabble.com and read my stuff, as well as the stuff of our many other great writers that write for moviebabble.com. Thanks very much for listening. Stay tuned for the next episode, whenever it will be. But until then, we'll see you later. Bye-bye.